sermon outline in your notes, in your bulletin. Uh, some of you, I know you play guess, guess the blanks. Uh, some of you do. <laughs> Every Sunday. I wonder what you think. Anyway, uh, I would encourage you to get this morning's sermon. This, I, I believe this is very important. I'm going to do more teaching than normal because this, this is critical. I, I always believe every message I deliver is probably the most important one ever. Uh, but I really think that this I think this is really, really critical for us as a church. Because too many churches, not fullness particularly, but too many churches are thinking that the church is for them. In other words, they think that the church, the purpose of the church, of a a church meeting, is so that their needs can be met, so that things can happen for them, when in fact, throughout the New Testament, I believe the purpose of the church is to display the glory that we were just singing about. We are to be like a, a precious jewel held up to the light of the glory of God that displays his mystery and his purposes to the world around us. And whenever a church becomes mostly concerned about what it can do for them what, instead of what we can do for the world... I believe that church is shortly in a decaying mode, ultimately, ultimately. And uh, I I don't just say that because I I want this church to grow. It it has nothing to do with numbers or growth. It has to do with health. It has to do with what I see from beginning to end in the New Testament, the purpose of the church, the purpose of the followers of God. Jesus Christ. So we're going to look at that today, and it's going to take a little bit of a different direction that you may, than you may think, because whenever you talk about evangelism and bold sharing, you think about uh, the pastor's going to get us all stirred up to go and share. Well, I hope that happens. But I want you to see there is a premise to sharing that if you don't do, your sharing will be ineffective. I'll say that again. There's a premise to our sharing the gospel that if we don't get and aren't doing, then our sharing will be ineffective. This is a series about boldness. It's, we've been looking at boldness over the past weeks. Uh, throughout the New Testament, you see examples where common men were suddenly filled with boldness, and the only explanation was they had been with Jesus. There, there are passages that talk about we can boldly come into God's presence because of what Jesus Christ did for us. We've seen that there's a boldness to the message that we have been given delivered to, to deliver. There's a boldness to the life of obedience that we are supposed to be committed to follow. There's a boldness of life. There's a boldness even in weakness. We're going to start looking at this in depth next week. Scott's kind of gave us a preview of 2 Corinthians. We're going to start a a series next week called um, Power and Weakness. There's boldness that comes from the weaknesses that we have when we submit them to the Lord. There's boldness in the once and for all sacrifice that Jesus came to provide for us. And there's boldness because we serve a risen, not a dead. This is really critical. We serve a risen Savior who sits at the right hand of God the Father right now. As a result of these things, we should, not be a, we should not be a people who shrink back, right? 
But we should be a people who keep pressing forward in boldness. We're always going to be tempted to shrink back. It is our nature for most of us to stay in the background, to stay out of harm's way, to not put ourselves on the front line. But because of what Christ did for us and who he calls us to be in his presence in our lives, we are called to live bold lives. Today, I want to look at this idea of bold sharing. Bold sharing. The first reference of this particular phrase that every single one of you in this room knows, the first reference that we see in any kind of written form was listed in the Christian Recorder in March of 1862. It it was primarily an African-American publication, the Christian Recorder, but here's what it says in the magazine in 1862. It says, remember the old adage, sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will never harm me. Yeah, we say hurt, but they actually said harm me, will never harm me goes on and says, true courage consists in doing what is right despite the jeers and sneers of our companions. Now, all of us have been taught that phrase since we were really little, right? Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. And we, we teach it to our children so that they won't um, be discouraged by words. And they'll stand up for truth even when their lies are coming at them. But is it really true that Words can never hurt you. Uh, Those of us who are old enough know that is an absolute lie. That there is unbelievable power in the spoken word. As a matter of fact, I think it's a biblical principle that there is power in the spoken word. Kathy is this summer going to do her children's camp. And by the way, if you haven't sent your children or every child in your neighborhood to that camp, it's unbelievable what is accomplished during that time. Uh, It really is powerful, and I would encourage you to to encourage, invite people to go to the camp. But this summer, we were talking about it the other day, her, her camp is called Overflow. Overflow. And it's based on the passages from either Luke or Matthew. There are two of them. A good man from the good stored up in his heart brings out what is good, and an evil man from the evil stored up brings out what is evil. For from the overflow of his heart, the mouth speaks. In Matthew twelve thirty four, Jesus, speaking to the Pharisees, calls them a brood of vipers. How can you, who are evil, say anything good? For out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. We speak what's in our heart. But in that, there is power in words. We have the power to either build up or tear down with our words. There's an old saying that's attributed to St. Francis of Assisi, but he never actually said it, uh, which goes something like this. Preach the gospel at all times, and when necessary, use words. The heart of that saying, again, there's a truth to it that our actions should be always communicating the truth of the gospel. But here's my contention this morning. There is no gospel without words. There is no good news. News inherently needs words in order to be communicated. Otherwise, who's going to know what it has to do with? See, at times we get in this this picture that says, hey, look, all I got to do is act like a Christian. 
But the Bible is a book of what? Words. It's a book of words. Jesus in the, in the Great Commission says this. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. There's some, this is the command not only to his followers at that moment, but his command to his followers throughout the ages, the Great Commission. We are all commissioned with this. This is our mission. And in it, there's some important truths. One is that we have received authority. Jesus has all authority, right? And then he says, I'm with you to the very end of the age. The implication here is the authority that I've been given, I'm giving to you to go. We don't go in our own might, our own power. We don't go in our own intelligence. We go in the authority and power of the Lord. You know, after this, remember, Jesus, if you look at the uh, Acts 1 passage, Jesus says to his followers, go, wait for what? I'll wait for the Holy Spirit, wait for power, and then go. Once you receive the power, then go. We don't go in our own strength, our own might. There is an authority, there's a power that we've been given. But there is a going. There is a going that we've all been commanded to do. Christianity has, from the very beginning, been an aggressively evangelistic movement. Why? Evangelism means, it has to do with the gospel, good news, sharing good news. We share not because we want world domination. We'll leave that up to other religions on the planet, that that would be their concern. We go and share because it is life. We want people to have a relationship with the God who created them. And if indeed we believe what Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The only way they're going to have life is through him. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. There's an action. There's that movement from death to life. And we're to teach. How do, how do you teach unless you speak. Now, it's not merely speaking. It is demonstrating that this is what Jesus did. His model was told them, showed them, sent them. I mean, he told them, he showed them what he was going to do. He sent them, he bring them back, they'd evaluate. But there is a speaking. There is an element in sharing of words. Romans 10, 12 through 15 says, Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. We could stop right there. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. There is a speaking. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not, what? Heard. And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? His argument, and he goes on and says, blessed are the feet of those who, what? Share good news. Now, here's the, here's the point we as Christians, I think, uh, stumble on. We think, well, I haven't been sent, and I'm not a preacher, therefore it's not up to me. Hello? Based on this passage, can you see where you would get that? 
well, I haven't really been sent, and I, I haven't really been called to preach, so it's up to guys like Bart to handle this. Because he's been sent, he's preached. Here, here's the implication of Paul here and the words of Jesus directly. We have all been sent. Hello. We've all been sent. Every single one of us have been sent. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you have been sent. I've heard someone say this before. If you are not a witness for Jesus Christ, you are an imposter for Jesus Christ. I thought that was a little strong. But there's an element to it that's true. We, we We are all called to, through the way we live and the way we speak, be witnesses for Jesus Christ. So, how are we doing so far? I, 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 want, I want us to see the truth that sharing Jesus Christ in some way encompasses a lot of different things, but it cannot be absent from words. We all are called to share the good news of Jesus Christ. Having said all of that, I want to look at Colossians 2, 4 through 6. Excuse me, Colossians 4, 2 through 6. Getting a little dyslexic here. Colossians 4, 2 through 6. Here's what the passage says. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful, and pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know to how may know how to answer everyone. I, I picked a passage a little bit different than the typical evangelistic passages to talk about sharing because I think there are two critical Listen to me, critical truths. One has to do with what might be considered indirect. In other words, if direct is specifically sharing with someone, proclaiming boldly, there's an element that is a foundation to sharing that if we don't get, we will be ineffective in our sharing. And it's this, it's praying boldly. Praying, if we don't, look at this passage. Paul is talking about evangelism, but a lot of what he's talking about here is prayer. So there's an indirect aspect, so to speak, of praying boldly, and then we're going to look at what it means to proclaim boldly. So here's the first point. We're going to pray boldly. Pray boldly. Don't miss, please don't miss the utter necessity of prayer in the sharing of the gospel. Too many times people think of sharing the gospel like this. I'm in a boat with all my friends, and i got to tell people the good news, so i just got to jump out of the boat. i just got to jump. Listen, if you really start with the Great Commission and then talk about them going and praying, waiting for the Holy Spirit, you're going to see the utter necessity of prayer in sharing the gospel. If you just jump out of the boat, you're going without a life preserver. You're going... You're going to be in trouble because there is a battle in sharing of the gospel and prayer is going to present so many different aspects for us. Okay, 
So let's take it apart. I, I've got a lot of blanks in there to fill out. You can fill them out or you can just follow along however you want. But Colossians 4, 2 says this, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. In, in this, uh, this is a great lesson on prayer. And I really want to increase our, all of our prayer lives. How do we pray? How do we pray? Well, he gives three different things. First, pray persistently. Pray persistently. That's the idea of devote yourselves. Prayer is to be done all the time. And it should be as natural as breathing for the Christian. But to get there takes discipline. I say it's as natural as breathing, but no one had to teach you to breathe. You just kind of do it or you're dead, right? But in prayer, but in prayer, it takes discipline to get to that point. As many of you know, I'm, um, I'm undergoing physical therapy. I call it pain therapy uh, for, my, for my surgery for my arm. And at this point, I can lift my arm about this high. Last Sunday after church on Easter, I was so excited to worship. And my, I get home after church, my children are ridiculing me. Because I'd get so excited, I'd go to raise my hands and worship, and it'd be like this. Because <laughs> that's about all I... You see Dad trying to lift his hands and worship. It's like, that's all I got right now. So I, I go to physical therapy three times a week, and it, it, they just stretch my arm as far as it'll go till I start crying. <laughs> so three times a week, I cry. I'm not much of a crier, but I've been crying lately. Because they take it to that point. But really the progress that's made in my physical therapy isn't in the three times I go every week. It's in the fact I'm supposed to do these series of, of torturous exercises twice a day, every day. And if I don't do them, I'm not going to make progress. And people, really, it hurts to do these. these. I've exercised my whole life. I mean, I've run, I've done different exercises. But I've never done anything like this, which says, like there's this one where I, I take a dowel rod and I lean forward on a table and I have to actually push my arm out with the dowel rod for it to get straight. Because it just goes like this. Because my deltoid muscle was taken off totally before it was reattached under the pins. Isn't that a lovely thought? So I have to push it out, and then I have to use my weight with my arms on the table and just try and go back as far as I can until I can't go back any farther. And it hurts like heck to do it. I mean, you'd rather do anything. Oh, I think I'll go do that exercise. <laughs> I think I'll jump up and go grab that dowel rod and lean on the table and kill myself. I mean, really, you, you, everything in my mind says, no, just stay here in the recliner. I'm sure another basketball game is about to come on any minute. You wouldn't want to miss it. Listen, prayer is like that in our lives. I mean, it doesn't, it's not painful, but there is a discipline that takes place to prayer. There's an aspect of it that says, I'm, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. Listen, I'm the, I'm the pastor of the church, Right? so far. And uh, part of my job is to encourage you to do different things. Like we've started this daily Bible reading. Hopefully you're reading through the Bible. How many are in Leviticus? How many are saying, how fast can I get through this book? How many turtle doves do I need to gut and wash and burn? And really, I mean, this, at some point you're like, how many Bible reading plans have died in Leviticus? 
I mean, there's a discipline to it. So I've disciplined myself because I've got different things I like to do in the morning. But I'm before I do any of the things I enjoy, I'm reading the Bible. Now that sounds like, but to read through Leviticus, it takes a certain amount of discipline. If you're gonna if you're gonna pray, there's a persistence to it. I try to tell newly married couples, look, I, I want to encourage you to pray together every day. Pray together every day. Now, don't. If you have like an hour-long prayer time, women, please listen to me. If you, if you insist on praying with your children a half an hour, an hour, you're going to kill the persistence of prayer with your children. Most of them can't hang that long. I, I mean, honestly, when my mom used to start to pray, you could hear this. Everybody would just, all my siblings were like, oh, here we go. We're going to be here a while. I mean, and I, I know that's horrible to say, but really, persistence in prayer is really key. You may not have a lot of time, but why not, before you leave the house, say to your spouse, I'm going to just bless you before you leave. God bless my spouse. Help them to have a great day. Because I believe the consistency and persistence of prayer will bring greater benefits than the one hour, once a month time of prayer. Are you with me? Build persistence in your prayers. Okay, I'm only on like the first of 20 points here this morning, so we're going to have to move a little fat, faster. Pray watchfully, being watchful. A watchman is vigilant. This is the whole picture of the watchman on the wall. If we stop being vigilant in our lives, we're open to attack from the enemy. And as we're going to see in just a moment, that prayer is, uh, it's warf- I mean, um, sharing our faith is warfare. The enemy does not. I mean, think about it. If there's anything he doesn't want you to do, it's to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. He will lie to you and lie to you and lie to you about sharing the gospel. He'll make you ashamed of the gospel. He'll make you afraid to share it with your friends. Oh, if I share it with my friends, they're not going to be my friends any longer. So you would rather be You would rather be a friend with someone who's going to hell than risk your friendship to try and keep them from being eternally separated from God. I mean, think about how we believe these lies. And if we quit being watchful, the enemy will come in and steal, kill, and destroy. We need to be persistent. We need to be watchful. We also need to pray thankfully. Pray thankfully. Paul says that our praying is to be done with thanksgiving. How do, you, how do you keep being thankful all the time? Because your eyes are on the ultimate victory, not on the short-term stuff. See, a, a, a thankful Christian is one who knows we've, God's won. God's won. This skirmish may result in a problem. It may result in a short-term loss, but the ultimate is victory. And That's what we're aiming for. We know God wins. We need to have a full devotion to prayer. Let me just give you a couple of passages. Write these down because uh, if not, we're going to be here way after lunch if I keep commenting. Although this is really good, isn't it? Thanks. (laughs) They, They all join together constantly in prayer along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, with his brothers. This is Acts 1. Look at the consistency of prayer. 
They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. 1 Thessalonians 5, be joyful always, pray continually. We're to be a people of prayer. Now, you may be thinking to yourself, how can I pray every single moment of every day? If I'm going through all of life speaking to God, saying, just praying every moment, they, 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 they have places for people like that, right? If you're talking to God all the time and not really in touch with it, and all the doors lock on the outside of those places. It'll come to you. It'll come to you later. But there's a way, there's a way of living life where we can be in consistent relationship and fellowship with God. Prayer is not merely you setting that side of time aside where it's you talking to it is a con prayer is about relationship with God. A couple of books I would recommend. There's this testament of devotion by a Quaker by the name of Thomas Kelly. And he says, there is a way of ordering our mental life on more than one level at once. On one level, we can be thinking, discussing, seeing, calculating, meeting all the demands of external affairs. But deep within, behind the scenes at a profounder level, we may also be in prayer and adoration, song and worship, and a gentle receptiveness to divine breathings. Which is a, all of that is a great definition of prayer, by the way. You understand the point? You can be doing your conscious stuff on one level, but if you're practicing the presence of God, as Brother Lawrence speaks about it, he says this, the time of business does not differ with me from the time of prayer. And in the noise and clatter of my kitchen, while several persons are at the same time calling for different things, I possess God in as great tranquility as if I were on my knees. If you've never read uh, the Practice of the Presence of God by Brother Lawrence. I, I, it's a life-changing book about how to be in constant relationship with God. Pray persistently. Pray watchfully. Pray thankfully. That's how we're to pray. So what are we supposed to pray for? According to Colossians 4, 3 through 4, what are we to pray for? Well, pray for courage. Paul says, and pray for us too. And he goes on and says that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Paul is in prison. And what's he praying for? He's, he, he's, he's praying for courage. God, don't let me shrink back. And, and if I'm not going to shrink back, I need you to join with me in prayer. We need to pray for ourselves and for others because sharing the gospel takes courage. Listen, only times I've not been a little nervous when I go to share the gospel is when somebody says to me, how can I be saved? And you know how many times that's happened? Not many. Most of the time, it's a courageous aspect of a conversation to open a spiritual conversation with someone. Pray for courage. We all need courage. Pray for an open door, that God may open a door for our message. God will create opportunities for the gospel to be heard. Hello. God will open doors of opportunity for the gospel to be heard. I, I think this should be, these two things right here should be prayers. You pray for yourself every morning. God, give me the courage to share the gospel and open the door somewhere, somehow for me to speak it. Are you, are you with me? Are you praying for open doors? 
Are you praying for open doors with family members? I mean, you could take a moment right now and list a family member you know needs the gospel. God, give me courage to share the good news with this person. Open up a door. I don't want to force, I don't want to force my way in. Hello? You with me? I don't want to, I don't want to kick some, I don't want to kick out a window or a door. I want to be courageous, but God, open the door. I mean, if you read the New Testament, doors opened all the time for them to share the gospel. Paul and Silas were in jail singing hymns to God when, what happened? Literally, the door opened. And as a result, they got to share the gospel with the jailer, the prison warden. And he, and his, they, he takes them home. Hey, come share with my whole family. God opens doors that you would never be able to open. But pray for doors of opportunity to be open. And pray for clarity so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Pray for clarity of the gospel. <laughs> Last week before Easter, uh, one of the families in our church had, you know, you know, we got this new kind of seating design. It's kind of curved rather than straight. Uh, I which I like a lot. You're a little closer to me, and I like the whole setup. And so, one of the some of y'all are sitting in different places. Some of you are confused about where to sit. And uh, so, one of the families that usually was more toward the back and moved toward the front. So I said to the dad, "Hey, what do y'all? First of all, you're here on time. Second, you, it's um, you're up toward the front." And uh, the dad said, "Yeah, my daughter wanted to. I let her pick, and we we moved toward the front." And so I said to the daughter in my usual witty repartee, uh, I said to the daughter, well, you know, this is a wise decision because the Holy Spirit is much thicker here on the first four or five rows. For those of you that sit at the back, you may not know that. <laughs> Holy Spirit's down here, thinner toward the back. Later in the day, I'm... I'm talking to Kathy, and, you know, we worshiped. Easter was great. It was just a wonderful time. We closed out with that song, I believe in God our Father. I, believe. I love that song. Where we, we proclaim the, 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 the gospel, really, of what we, what we believe. Later in the afternoon, we had had lunch, you know, with family and friends. And I, I, I'm talking to Kathy. I said, hey, I was children's church. She said, it was great. It was great. I did have this really one weird thing happen. I said, well, what was that? Well, she said, after we sang I Believe, I went downstairs and um, I was saying to the, to the children, um, we just sang that song, What We Believe. Tell me what you believe. They're raising their little hands. I believe in the cross. I believe in Jesus. I believe, I believe, I believe the Holy Spirit is much thicker on the first four rows. LAUGHTER She's like, I, I, I don't get it. I had to ask him again. What did you say? I believe the Holy Spirit is much thicker on the first four rows. She's like, I, I, I don't even know what that means. It made me start laughing. Sometimes we get things mixed in with the gospel that aren't the gospel. Right? And we start to think we're communicating the gospel when we're not. We need for clarity. Come back to me now. Just stop thinking about that and let's... We need, for cl we need clarity of the mystery of the gospel. And it's not a mystery because it's complicated. It's a mystery because it was hidden. 
and now it's unveiled. That the Son of God would become a man, that he would live a, a, a sinless life of love and of poverty, that he would go to the cross and die this incredibly painful death, suffer the punishment for our sins, though he had no sin. But death couldn't hold him. And he rose from the grave, and he sits at the right hand of God the Father, and that we who were sinful, we who were wicked, can be made right with God through faith in him. That people of all races, genders, backgrounds, could come to know this Jesus, and we who were many can be one. That Christ would dwell in our hearts and the power of the Holy Spirit would empower us. People, to me, these are the essentials of the mystery of the gospel, and we hear them so often that we, we forget it, and we need clarity to share with people around us. Who, who are you praying for? Pray persistently, watchfully, thankfully. Pray for courage. Pray for an open door. Pray for clarity. Now, I've spent most of the sermon not actually talking about sharing, but talking about what? Because if your prayer life is not right, your sharing life is not going to be right. It's our influence, our impact is only going to be as broad as our prayer covering. We must be a people of prayer. But it does, at some point, lead to us proclaiming boldly. We need to share the good news of of Jesus Christ. And Paul, in this passage, he prays for some specific things about sharing the gospel. He says, be wise. Wow, we... Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. First thing he says is make the most of every opportunity. I'm not quite sure what happened to our fonts here, but don't worry about it. Just, uh, just go with it. <laughs> In any case, he, he wants us to make the most of every opportunity, to redeem the time. That's, that's kind of a key point as he, as he goes, to, goes to speak about this. You... you you only have one opportunity to make the most of that opportunity. I don't know if I said that very good. But when that opportunity is gone, it is gone forever. It's part of the nature of time. You don't go back and repeat it. How many times have you wanted to go back? Oh, God, if I could just go back, I would not say that. Or why didn't I say that? You need wisdom about making the most of every opportunity. So then he gives us some different ways to accomplish this proclamation. One is wise actions. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. We need to know what to say and when to say it. We need a spirit-empowered wisdom to minister to the world. Wisdom is knowing what to do for the glory of God at any given moment. You could write that down. It's really good. Wisdom is knowing what to do for the glory of God at any given moment. My wife was kidding with me the other day. I know a lot of stuff about a lot of worthless stuff. 
somehow my mind like files trivia just I mean it just does I don't know why I can't even explain why it does so I know a lot of stuff but that doesn't make me wise it just makes me like an old filing cabinet. You know, it's just got files and files of stuff that really, unless I got on a game show, it's really not going to really, you know, I'm, go- I'm great at parties, but I'm not really, it's not wisdom. Wisdom is knowing what to do in the moment. We need, we need to know. We, we're, uh, Nate and Cheryl are teaching this class on Wednesday night called uh, Justice Jesus Style. And they're, they're going through a book called uh, Counterculture by David Platt. And it's a book that talks about how do we minister to those who are impoverished or human trafficking or uh, uh, just so many different issues that are in our age that we need wisdom in what to do. Now, we can ignore it or we can figure out, God, give us a way to wisely help. Not just help to be helping, but help in order to demonstrate the love of Jesus Christ. This Wednesday, as a matter of fact, every one of you is invited to the class. Unless you're going to another class already on Wednesday night, you should come to this class because uh, Christina Scott from an organization called Alabama Possible is going to be here to talk to the class about uh, poverty in Alabama. It's a group that ministers specifically to the impoverished in our state. We need wisdom, people. We need wisdom in what to do. Wise actions. I'm going to move on. I I could talk about what the church... We are really unwise in a lot of our actions. We need wisdom in what to do. Uh, The second one is we need seasoned speech. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt. We're to have conversations, and he's talking about to those outside the church. We're to have conversations full of grace. Let me just say this, too. If your conversation is going to be full of grace, where's the grace going to come from? Well, it comes from God, but where does it go then? Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. If you don't have grace in your heart, you're not going to be saying it. You're not going to be graceful in your speech. I mean, we need to be people who are recipients of the grace of God and understand it so that out of, Mr. Buddy, I'm going to start singing Amazing Grace in just a minute. But I mean, really, out of our hearts, that amazing grace has to flow out. It doesn't, you just don't speak that which you don't have. And We need to make sense to the world. I mean, somebody on the outside, they don't know churchy terms, right? They don't know all the churchy stuff that we say. We got our own lingo in here. And if you start talking churchy lingo to somebody who doesn't understand churchy lingo, they're like, huh? We need our speech to be full of grace. Uh, Joe Bailey in his book, I Love to Tell the Story, says this, someone passed the following question on to me from a graffiti wall at St. John's University in Minnesota. So this whole thing was on graffiti on a wall. And it said this, Jesus said to them, who do you say that I am? And they replied, 
You are the eschatological manifestation of the ground of our being, the kerygma in which we find the ultimate meaning of our interpersonal relationships. And Jesus said, what? That's the way we talk to the world, and they're looking at us like, huh? We need speech that makes sense to people who don't know the language. Now, some of you are like, I don't even know what that means. Oh, I understand. There's, it's, it's challenging. It also needs to be seasoned with salt. Food without salt is bland. The gospel should never be boring. I mean, if there, it's not a boring message. And... Then finally, we need individual attention so that you may know how to answer everyone. We need wisdom and how to communicate with the individual to whom we are speaking. So think about this. You're praying for open doors, for opportunity, for clarity. Then when you get the opportunity, you want to be wise in the actions that you do. You want your speech to be seasoned with grace and salt. And you want to know how to speak to that individual. Jesus was brilliant in this. Come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. He wasn't talking to accountants. He didn't use that phrase to accountants. So if you're talking to an accountant or somebody who doesn't know fishing, don't use that phrase, right? I I mean, I'm kind of, but we talk like that at times. Yeah, if you come to Jesus, he'll, he'll make you a fisher of men. What? I mean, really, we need to be smart in the way we talk to people and wise in our actions, just as Jesus said that to fishermen. We all need individual attention, and the people around us are individuals. Speak to them in the grace. Ask for wisdom in how to deal with it. Jesus was passionate in his prayers for the people. He said when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. He said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Here's my question to you. Where is your harvest field? Where's the field God has given you to harvest? And here's what I believe. I believe every single one of you has a harvest field. You have a group of people, a sphere of influence that God has given you. Ask God to send laborers into the harvest field and and really pray this, God, let it begin with me. Let it begin with me to share the good news with the people around me. Because God has given us, he's put us in the business of being his ambassadors to reconcile, as it says, the world to him. Here's my plea to you as your pastor, as one who loves you, who loves this church and this people and this place. Let's be a people of prayer. I pray that we would be people who pray persistently, watchfully, thankfully, praying for courage to share the gospel and open door for opportunities and clarity in how we share it. 
It begins with prayer. Again, without prayer, there isn't going to be effective sharing. But then let us proclaim the good news because it's always at some point going to be with words. Let us be wise in dealing with people. Making the most of every single opportunity that God gives us. Speaking with grace and with appeal and ministering real love to the individuals that God gives us in our lives. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that we would indeed be a people who are bold in the sharing of the good news of what you've done in our lives. Lord, change us. Radically change us. God, we are so grateful. We are so thankful. We are... Lord, make us a people of prayer. May we quit being a people who just talk about prayer and be a people who pray. May it be about prayer that happens every moment of every day of all of our lives. That we pray persistently and watchfully. That we stand guard where we're supposed to. And that we, we uh, Lord, we, we pray for the things you've given us to pray for. Lord, I pray that Fullness Christian Fellowship would be a light with the good news of Jesus Christ to the world around us. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Here's, the, here's what I know. I, I don't know a lot of stuff, really, but here's what I do know. If there's any two things the enemy would love for you never to do, it's pray and share. I mean, if he can keep you from doing those things, you are ineffective. He'll just leave you alone. That's not who we are. We're people who are called to be praying and to be sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Be encouraged. This is not bad news. This is good news. This is the gospel. This is what God has given us to do, and it's exciting. It will change your life. It will change your life. What are we doing now? Oh, we're taking up an offering. I, I skipped the offering earlier, so we're going to take up an offering. Uh, if uh, you're a guest here, we, you're in no way required to give an offering. But what we would like for you to do, there's a white connection card in your bulletin. If you would mind taking it out, filling it out and putting it in the offering when it's, when it's passed in just a moment. We would greatly, greatly, greatly appreciate it. We'd love to have the opportunity to pray for you. Regular attenders at Fullness, you know, put any prayer requests you have down on that card, we'll pray for you as well. <clears throat> By the way, we don't, think, we don't believe that giving is out of duty or guilt or obligation. This is an act of worship where we give. And we are basically saying to God... This little bit of money I'm giving back to you, this represents all of me, my whole life. Take me and use me, Lord. So when you give, you're giving out of a heart of thankfulness and worship. Not that God needs your money. We're not going to guilt you into anything. We just, just testify to the greatness and glory of God as you give. There's announcements in your bulletin that I would encourage you to read. One that I'll, uh, I was asked to highlight is there is a uh, wedding shower. Coming up for Michelle MacGyver. Michelle, is Michelle here? Is Michelle here? Michelle is marrying Micah, who's playing the bass. Micah Rogers, and they're getting married in May, and there's a wedding shower in two weeks. 
and all the details are in the bulletin. Also, we have a special opportunity uh, called the One Accord Conference. Mitch is going to just mention something to you about it briefly, about the One Accord Conference that's coming up, and then we're going to take up, take up the offering. All right. Well, praise the Lord. Y'all happy? Yeah. Amen. Y'all happy? Yeah. All right. Amen. Well, praise the Lord. Who would have thought... Uh, four years ago when the Lord spoke to me and told me to come back to Birmingham that, that he would have had fullness on his